Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, you've already heard this this morning, but the Taliban have taken over Afghanistan's capital city of Kabul. That means the entire country are now effectively under the group's control. The Chinese uh, have led the way to recognize the Taliban as the new government of Afghanistan and are seeking to already build alliances with them. That is uh, an important note, as I also read this morning, that the Chinese and, uh, and the Russians are uh, engaged in uh, a series of joint military exercises, allowing them to cooperatively observe and test each other's methods and weaponry. Um, I don't know if people are paying attention, but there's a lot going on in the world, and most of it is not good in terms of um, the future for a peace uh, in which people could flourish around the world. So uh, I wanted to highlight that this morning. If you have not heard already, the presidential palace um, was taken over in Afghanistan after the president uh, fled the country. That ended any and all attempts to form some kind of transitional government. The United States of America evacuated all of its diplomats, diplomats from the embassy. However, you are going to see and read coverage in the coming hours and days of all of our translators and those who have served as our friends in Afghanistan for the last 20 years, um, you are you are going to see horrific things happening to them. And I want you to know that in advance. I want you to know that in advance. Yes, the U.S. Defense Secretary has approved a thousand more U.S. troops to move into Afghanistan. Um, but Really, the 6,000 Americans were sent in to evacuate Americans. And so when you hear things like Americans um, were firing into the air to disperse a crowd, that's because the only people allowed on that airplane were Americans. It's going to get really bad, and I want you to know that. Um, the spirit of the Taliban is um, is a spirit of Islamic jihad. and um, one of the things that we are going to hear in the coming hours, certainly in the coming days, um, are that those who have served as the friends to the Americans, anybody who has, quote unquote, become Western, which will include men who shaved their beards or women who wear anything other than um, traditional Islamic garments or families who educated their girls. We're talking about 20 years. Um, they're going to die first. And I know that is a horrible prediction to make, but it is an honest one based on what we know about the Taliban uh, and not only their past actions, but the way in which they have um, taken over the country and most recently um, the city of Kabul, the nation's capital, and have done so with 
absolute disregard um, for any diplomatic efforts on the part of the Americans or anyone else. So life is precious. Stable governments are rare. Depravity, sin, and all the evils that we've read about in the Bible are just as real today as they were in the days of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Philistines, the Judges, the Romans, the Turks, Stalin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, the Khmer Rouge. The list is long, and the Taliban is on it. So I know that's sober and it's awful. Hopefully it will serve as fodder for your prayers. Um, And a really good reminder that we are blessed, but our democracy is is no more stable than any other um, government at any time in history. And so we need to we need to defend what we have um, and and exporting it to others is important. But we also need to recognize you can't export it to places where the foundations don't exist. And the foundations of this democracy are Judeo-Christianity. And and we forget that at our own peril. All right. Up next, Dr. Linda Mental. She's going to give us an anger quiz. How do you score on the anger scale? We're going to weigh it out next. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my fight song. All right, joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her on the Dr. Linda Mental Show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also find her at drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. It's very sobering what you just talked about. And I have to say, my heart was just so heavy yesterday when I was watching these events unfold and seeing what was happening and really have a sense that we really need to pray for those people because I, 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 I'm with you spiritually. It's a horrible thing to face, but um, I do think the darkness is pretty deep there. So, yeah. And, and uh, prayer is, um, when we say all we can do is pray, that's not nothing. And right. that's something. And right. so we need to be people who do it and we right. need to do it honestly. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Anger and things that make anger. us angry and scoring well, that out. Talk, talk with us. Uh, so I'm I'm looking at your article um, uh, on the anger quiz. So help us understand anger and you know how you're scoring it here. Well, anger is obviously something we have seen a lot of over the past year with all the unrest and with all the issues around COVID and masking and just going to put a plea out for people with the variant. I'm at a medical school. It's very serious. Uh, we are going back to masking again indoors um, because of the the tremendous uh, uh, virility of this virus to spread quickly and do a lot of damage. So uh, there's a lot, but I know that even that conversation makes a lot of people angry. And um, talking about whether you should get a vaccine makes people angry. So there's politics that make people angry. And I'm sure a lot of people are angry at the administration right now for allowing things to go the way they did in Afghanistan. So anger is all around us. It is a God-given emotion. It is an emotion we need to understand when we have it, because we are going to have it. And the issue here is how we manage it, how we deal with it. So in the quiz, um, you know, I, I started with the question, as long as I don't look or sound angry, 
I'm not angry. And I think a lot of people do a lot of pretending on that one. You know, just because you don't look it, you don't sound it, it doesn't mean that somebody isn't seething underneath. And Carmen, we see this all the time with people who then do horrific things in the culture, like shooting uh, people in a in a in a workplace because they're angry or coming after somebody in a domestic violence situation. We see this. They don't look angry on the outside. They're not necessarily telling you that, but underneath they are very angry. So just the fact that you don't look or sound it doesn't mean that somebody isn't dealing with anger. Well, if I if I ignore it long enough, it will go away. Yeah, it doesn't seem to work that way. It really is one of those emotions you have to you have to really deal with when it happens because it tends to escalate in people over time. And the the sad part is if you don't deal with your anger and you let it fester, then it usually goes into resentment and bitterness and all the things that we know are very difficult uh, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. When you let anger fester and you don't handle it, it does nothing but damage. It damages the physical body as well as all the other uh, parts of yourself. And holistically, it's just a recipe for disaster if you don't handle it. All right. Can I decrease my anger by punching or throwing something? Not not no. a person, but like a pillow. Yeah, no, 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 you cannot. And that is a research that we did not understand years ago. We thought giving a teenager a, a punching bag in the basement might work or telling a child, well, just go and punch your pillow and just take it all out in your pillow or, you know, go, go scream or do something. Actually, the research is really clear on that, that when you give vent to anger, hmm, that's a scripture. <laughs> but when you give vent to anger, it makes your anger actually escalate. So this is not an emotion you want to give vent to. And it's interesting that the Bible is really clear about that. It just says very specifically, do not give vent to anger. And now the research has finally substantiated that very wise you know, counsel from the Bible because it just escalates anger and makes it worse. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental, who, you know, is pointing out that the Bible is right again, which we, you know, are not surprised by, but love to have affirmed. She and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'm actually just walking with her through a piece that is posted at drlindamental.com. How do you score on the anger quiz? And we're going to um, continue next with a question about whether or not anger is shameful. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Dr. Linda Mental today about anger, helping us score our anger. We are looking at a piece posted at drlindamental.com. How do you score on the anger quiz? All right, Linda, let's talk about um, anger and shame. So I've seen a lot of people in my practice over, you know, the 20 years. And one of the things I noticed with Christian clients was that a lot of times they were afraid to acknowledge that they were angry because they felt like that was wrong. Somehow that was, it was shameful. It was some emotion they should not experience. And, you know, I'd always point people to a type of righteous anger that Jesus had when he overthrew the the money changers, the tables, when he overthrew the tables of the money changers in the temple. 
and that he would get very angry at the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. He didn't get angry at the unredeemed, at the people who didn't know him, of the people who were lost. He had tremendous compassion for them. But there were times when he got mad at justice and injustice, I mean, and he was looking at the hypocrisy of leaders. And so it's, a, it's not a wrong emotion, again. It's not something you should be ashamed of. You need to look at the motivation of your heart. Why are you angry? Why are you so angry? Um, is it a righteous type of cause? I mean, we can be angry right now at what the Taliban may be doing to women in, in Afghanistan. We can have a righteous anger about that and go to prayer, and we don't need to be ashamed of feeling that way. But we do need to be careful on how we act out our anger, because that is sometimes what causes shame to people. They do terrible things when they're angry and they just react and they're not controlling their emotions. And then that type of action can bring on shame. But the actual emotion of anger isn't something that you um, need to feel ashamed about having. You should acknowledge it and know that God, Jesus had it. And it's something to be angry and not sin, as the scripture tells us. And the next one, uh, the next one really is the the conversation about peace. Am I supposed to, you know, have peace at any price, even if that means I'm just stuffing stuff down that makes me really angry and never authentically dealing with it um, in, in relationships with other people? And we know that makes people sick, physically sick when they do that. And we know that that doesn't solve anything. And we also know that the whole counsel of God is to try to live peaceably with others, to reconcile with our brothers and sisters and try to, you know, start something with a soft, gentle uh, uh, conversation, not to start things angry and put people on the defense. So so many issues involved with keeping the peace. But again, I worked with a number of Christian women who were like, I'm not going to acknowledge my anger. I'm not going to say anything. My mother-in-law one time, uh, years, this was years ago when Norm and I, my husband and I were having uh, a pretty, it was an intense conversation, but we weren't, we weren't raising our voices. We weren't, uh, but we were disagreeing and it was, we were disagreeing about an event that we had to both go to at a different time. And we couldn't go to each other's event. It was a Christmas party. And we were having this big conversation and my mother-in-law was very uncomfortable with conflict um, because she was taught this peace at any price. And then it was spiritualized with, you know, you're never supposed to say anything. You just need to be quiet and be a peacemaker. So she stood up and got right in front in between the two of us and said, blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and went, okay, <laughs> does it really relate to what we're doing right now. We're having a conflict. We're working it out. We're not screaming at each other. We're not calling each other names. We're having a discussion, a dialogue, which take this into the larger culture right now when we have conflict and we're having a civil conversation about it in order to bring an end that could be a reconciled end, which is what we did. So that was a misuse of the scripture. Um, and it's one that Unfortunately, a lot of people have heard is just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Don't ever rock the boat um, because you're supposed to be a peacemaker. Well, yes, we are called to be peacemakers, but not in that context of not having dialogue, standing firm. And I'll put this in the cultural context right now, Carmen, standing firm on our beliefs, not being ashamed of the gospel, knowing who we are in Christ and knowing what he has called us to say and do at the right times when the spirit is leading us in those directions. There are times when we have to stand 
and it won't always create a reconciliation. But the prayer and the hope is that through uh, civil dialogue that hopefully we could get there. But boy, it seems like we've moved so far away from that in our culture right now. So, Linda, um, much of that then I think gets to this misunderstanding that, you know, well, women in particular are not supposed to get angry. In fact, women don't get angry. Real women don't get angry. Well, real women just get frustrated and um, know, you know, know that our place is to give in. Which is one of the reasons why women have more internalized uh, emotional disorders is because we turn our anger inward into eating disorders, into self-injury, into thoughts of suicide, into um, destructive patterns in our relationships where we're constantly resentful, but we're giving in because we think we have to be quiet and never say anything. And again, I'm, I'm saying you do this all with big biblical counselors, so much counsel on how you deal with conflict and problems. I wrote a whole book on it called We Need to Talk for that very reason, because we need a lot of guidance that actually is given in the scripture on how to approach each other. So again, it's not uh, an okay thing for male or female to keep their anger bottled up inside, because we know that it will have one of two effects. It'll, It'll either erode internally into a sense of bitterness, which the Bible's really clear about, um, that that root of bitterness is, is damaging and, and hurtful, or it will come out some point in an explosion when you least expect it, and it will be out of control because you've been stuffing it down into a, a sort of a bottle, and then it just explodes because there's too much pressure on it. So we have to be able to express our anger in, a, in an appropriate way. All right. I'm so glad you directed and pointed people to the book, We Need to Talk, because you know, that's the place where you just lay out for us that, you know, conflicts are unavoidable in relationship, but how we respond is actually under our control and up to us. Um, so maybe um, a couple of ideas here for positively processing through anger in order that it can be expressed um, in ways that are not destructive, but constructive in relationship. Yeah. And so I would also point people to just a tiny little pocket book I wrote called Breaking Free from Anger and Unforgiveness. And I actually is one of my best sellers. And I don't say that as a, oh, good, you know, because people obviously needed the help. That's the good part. Right. But it's a really easy read. It goes through all the scriptures on anger. It talks about the importance of forgiveness. So one of the things you have to do is regulate your emotions. It's just really clear that we have emotions, they come into our mind, they're usually prompted by negative thoughts or some fear or anxiety. And then um, as we have that emotion, we need to take some deep breaths, we need to close our eyes and just ask the Lord to calm us down, uh, to be, he's present at that moment, tap into the presence of God, that's what we call that sort of uh, present moment in 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 the Christian world. And then think about why you're angry and think about how you want to approach that person and what you want to do with it. And then use your anger. You know, you can you can use your anger sometimes to motivate you to change and to look at what the problem is. But it's really about regulating that anger and getting to the issue that's involved in the anger. And one of the biggest things I can just say real quickly, Carmen, is that you have to have you have to have forgiveness in this process. People are going to hurt you. They're going to do things that make you angry, but you have to learn how to forgive and to forgive quickly and every time. And I'll point people to a wonderful article I read by Tim Keller called The Fading of Forgiveness. 
And it's it was just a really good piece on, are we losing that in American culture? Are we instead saying, I've been hurt, I'm gonna hurt you back. You've oppressed mm -hmm. me, now I'm gonna oppress you. That is not a biblical model. And we have to help people understand that forgiveness is healing and it brings wholeness and it brings reconciliation and it brings people together, it doesn't divide. So we, we need to get back to some real basics here. All right, let me encourage you, if you're listening right now, go to drlinamental.com, go click on the books, scroll down um, to the We Need to Talk series and look for the conversation uh, about anger and forgiveness. That's a, a great place to start. Um, there's a ton of stuff at drlindamental.com. It's a great place to connect with Linda. Obviously, listen to the show as well, Dr. Linda Mental Show, right here on the Faith Radio Network. Linda, thank you as always so much. Great talking to you. Be blessed. You too. We'll be right back. All right. On this last Thursday, the U.S. Census numbers were released. We learned a lot about ourselves, uh, who we are and where we live. The United States is more diverse, more urbanized, and growing more slowly overall than in past decades. We're going to talk with Dr. Walter Strickland about what all that means for the church. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. A wall of water eclipsed Peter's view. A wind gust snapped the mast with a crack. Peter shifted his attention away from Jesus and toward the storm. And when he did, he sank like a brick in a pond. Give the storm more attention than the storm walker and get ready to do the same. Friend, whether or not storms come, we cannot choose. But where we stare during a storm, we can. God's call to courage is not a call to naivete or ignorance. We aren't to be oblivious to the overwhelming challenges that life brings. We are to counterbalance them with long looks at God's accomplishments. The scripture says we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Today, do whatever it takes to keep your gaze on Jesus. Joining me now, Dr. Walter Strickland. He serves as Associate Vice President for Kingdom Diversity Initiatives and Assistant Professor of Systematic and Contextual Theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is also one of the pastors at the Imago Dei Church in Raleigh. You can also find him at WalterStrickland.com. Walter, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Carmen. It's always good to be with you. It's always wonderful to hear your voice and catch up. So I want to talk with you about um, at least the preliminary numbers that we're seeing from the U.S. Census. So the 2020 Census was at least released in parts um, this past Thursday. And I'd, I'd like to dig around a little bit in it. Um, the U.S. is more diverse, it's more urbanized, and it's growing more slowly than in past decades. Um, what were some of the takeaways that you saw, and why does it matter? Yeah, you know, there's there's implications all over the place for this. I think some of the, the more poignant uh, sort of implications are, you know, people have discussed uh, redrawing districts for voting. 
mm-hmm. and then as a believer, as a as a pastor, as well as a theologian and what have you, my my more uh, long term gaze goes to how does this affect how the people of God are interacting, and specifically how how, how does this impact local church life. And so those are some of the things that I begin to really think about. And I think, um, you know, are, are we ready for this? Are we, are the churches who are uh, in urban areas, uh, it, you know, it's basically thinking about, you know, historic, you know, and I'm Baptist. So I think about the historic First Baptist Church or that county seat, you know, church, that longstanding um, edifice, you know, is, is that congregation ready for, the uh, those coming to the cities from rural areas, those who are uh, Gen X and millennials coming to the cities, are they ready to minister to those folks? And are they ready to minister minister to folks who are uh, of different cultural and ethnic backgrounds? And so that, those are the sorts of questions I begin to uh, try to answer, um, or at least come to mind during you know the reading of the census data. Yeah, I think that a lot of the um, journalistic energy so far has been you know, focused on that redistricting conversation. And it is, it is that is certainly politically important. But, um, you know, you and I have a similar interest here. So, uh, you know, we want to look at where are the cities that are growing and then how are churches in those cities going to be affected? Are they ready? How could they be better prepared? I also recognize, Walter, that the numbers matter a whole lot for all the rural areas that shrunk as cities grew. And if more, if, you know, if what we read on Thursday, more than half of U.S. counties saw their overall populations decline compared to 2010, you know, we were already in crisis in terms of the rural churches across America. And so, you know, every little town everywhere has a First Presbyterian, First Baptist, First United Methodist, one Catholic, you know, and, you know, and another one that might be EV free or something else like, right? So, um, or uh, many of our audience, uh, folks in our audience today, you know, definitely going to have their feelings hurt that I didn't mention the Lutherans. So, like, but can little rural communities that are shrinking, can they support that many congregations? And what does the future of those places look like in terms of corporate witness? And, and that's a great question because, you know, this this is going to be uh, very, very important for us to be able to do what we haven't done in the past as much. So, I think depending on the, um, so this, I'll start from the beginning. Like, I, I think that the ethos of the American church, especially in rural areas that has been very dependent on families just coming to the church because that's what they do. They go to the church house on Sundays and then commence with their sort of traditional Sunday afternoon sort of family lunch. We, we can't really assume that that's going to be the case anymore. These uh, longstanding churches in our rural areas uh, really have to begin to uh, face outward, serve and love those who are in their communities. Uh, but then also, you know, there's, there's going to have to be a uh, an ecumenism in the sense that, you know, you, you like mentioned the Lutheran church, the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church, the you know, and, and all down down the line, all those different denominational churches, if they're willing to begin to look outward to serve and love their community. Uh, and then thereby bringing people into the fellowship of the church, I do think there's uh, some viability that's still left there. However, I do think there's going to have to be a lot more cooperation between churches of different dom- denominations as they're reaching their their towns. And so I think that those are just two switches, the sort of outward-facing posture and then the sort of uh, uh, 
cooperation across denominational lines is what our churches are going to have to do to be able to survive out there in the rural areas. So I want to um, turn just ever so briefly back to the conversation about big cities, because the list changed and the top 10 now all have more than a million people. Um, so uh, the list in order, New York, L.A., Chicago, Houston, Phoenix, Philadelphia, San Antonio, San Diego, Dallas, and San Jose. Um, so in, you know, the the 2000 population is listed and then the 2010 and then the 2020. And um, San Jose, and just to bring that one into focus, you know, had less than a million people in the year 2000 and now has more than a million people. So that's how the the 10th city on the list bumped up over the top. The biggest city, New York, um, with still over 8 million people. It would be interesting to know how COVID affected that because we don't really have those numbers. And just saying that, like, some of these numbers might shift yet. Um, cities of a million or more people, churches in those cities have in totally different conversations than churches in counties where there are not 100,000 people. I'm wondering from a preparation for ministry standpoint and a conversation among pastors, uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about that, the challenges that they face, the opportunities that they face, particularly in in an America that is ethnically now very diverse. So that conversation up next with Dr. Walter Taylor from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We'll be right back. When I'm not actually talking to Walter Taylor. Walter Taylor is a friend of mine and serves as the pastor of the Oak Island Evangelical Church in Oak Island, North Carolina. I am actually talking now with Dr. Walter Strickland, who has probably never been to Oak Island, North Carolina. Well, you know what? I've been there once before, but I don't, I don't remember <laughs> meeting my, my name twin. Huh. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Sorry, Walter. You know, I know I know to whom I am speaking, even if I call him by the wrong name from time to time. All right. Let's um, let's circle back around. Let's talk about preparation for ministry. Let's talk about the challenges pastors um, are now facing and will face, how prepared you think they are to do that, and maybe how seminaries need to respond and prepare, uh, prepare to prepare pastors for what is a very different America. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good question because uh, I would say that the, the the main thing that we have to begin to prepare uh, ministers of the gospel, both those vocationally and those who are lay ministers, uh, is is, the, is is for the fact that the cultural inertia is moving away from a Judeo Christian ethic. Um, you know, and, and that's not to say that previously everyone was a you know blood blood bought believer, somebody who was like in Christ and actively pursuing their faith on a daily basis. However, there was this sort of, there, there were some assumptions that we can make about people's uh, ethical sort of presuppositions in society that now we can't make anymore. And so the idea of being salt and light with no, quote, home field advantage, unquote, is really sort of a different ball game of engaging a culture um, as a Christian. And I think that that disposition of being able to engage from the margins is so important. 
Uh, and I think that we used to teach folks, uh, not explicitly, but implicitly, that we are speaking to people who assume the same sort of um, ethical assumptions as we do, and we would just sort of uh, encourage them to just sort of spout them off, and then people will show up because you do that, because that's what they actually believe. But now, in our urban areas especially, because that, that's where we have the most sort of liberal or uh, a lot of the nuns live there, and so the, the assumptions and, and the ideas at play in those areas are completely different than what we've assumed uh, in our seminaries long-term. So, um, Walter, we have a, a question from a listener, so I will, I'll try to summarize it and then invite you to, um, to address it. Uh, so it's, it's keying off of this note that America is now much more racially diverse. So I'd love for you to comment on that. What does that mean? And then does that mean we will hear less about being so racist if we're now not a majority white country. Do you see, do you see where the question's trying to go? Like, help us wander around in that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's another just good and insightful and important question. So um, I think in the, in the church, what this is going to have to mean is that we're going to have to uh, figure out how to bear different kinds of burdens than we've historically borne in some churches. So if our churches are going to reflect the, the neighborhoods in which we live, which especially in these urbanizing areas, they're going to be more and more uh, ethnically diverse. I mean, we're going to have to figure out how to, I mean, so just to, to state it plainly, we end up uh, bearing burdens similar to those that we've borne um, more easily and recognize them more easily than those that we have not. And so uh, th there, there's usually some trends in different ethnic uh, groups, of uh, different types of burdens that they're bearing. And so folks are going to have to, ministers of the gospel, are going to have to figure out how to identify those burdens and then bear them effectively. But then the other part of the question is is appropriate too. And this is this is where I think we're going to have to, you know, we'll just see what happens. But, you know, are we going to hear less about the conversation about ethnic and cultural and racial backgrounds if we are more racially diverse? You know, I think that we will, we, we could, if the if we actually begin to do what I talked about, what I hope will happen in churches as far as being able to understand and bear different kinds of burdens. If we're able to uh, see each other uh, in, our, in, our, in our victories, in our struggles as a country, uh, if, we're, if we're willing to work together towards the common good, I do think that we'll hear less about that conversation. However, but if, if we don't, and, and folks of different ethnic backgrounds are content with being uh, very um, monocultural or inward-facing into their cultural ethnic communities, I do think we're actually going to hear more of that conversation because we aren't making any, any headway across those different cultural or ethnic lines. And so I think we have an opportunity here, is what I'm saying, for us to really begin to, to, to see different uh, folks from different ethnic backgrounds and begin to sort of bear those burdens or it can become even more hardened across those ethnic lines. And I, and I do pray and hope for the church and in society that we'll begin to bear others' burdens, if I can use that biblical language from Galatians 6-2, um, as, as we continue to move forward, especially as the demographics begin to change. Walter, I think that's a really powerful image. I think it would be um, helpful, if not today, over time for you to unpack that a little more for us and explain that for people who 
um, have imagined that, you know, as Americans, I'm supposed to shoulder my own thing. Like I'm supposed to, you know, bootstrap what you know, the the history of the conversation on this, like, right, I ought to be able to carry that myself. Um, there is the reality in the Christian family that we recognize our total inability to carry the sin burden ourselves um, and then to recognize in community the great joy that it is to have others carry a burden with me um, and then the joy to be able to carry, uh, you know, a burden for someone else. We do that in prayer. Sometimes we do it in really tangible ways, Um, but oftentimes we just don't do it. We still act very American. We arrive in our own cars. We sit in, you know, some version of isolation from each other. And we don't really talk to each other, frankly, about what's going on um, in our lives. Uh, And so when you talk about burden bearing, is, is that what you're talking about? Like getting enough into each other's lives that we start to recognize places and spaces where people are carrying more than they can bear? Precisely. Yeah. I I mean, because if we think about the overall tenor of our society and how it's set up, I mean, we're encouraged to uh, have an emergency fund. We're encouraged to save for retirement. And both of those things are well and good. I, I, uh, and I'm trying to do both, but what that assumes is that we don't need anybody else, or we're trying to strategically set our lives up so that we don't need anybody else to rest on or to lean on to help bear these burdens. And I think that if we begin to bear burdens, not just in our own sort of uh, sort of ethnic communities, but even beyond that, I do think that it's going to minimize the intensity of this bigger conversation about race in America, because those those uh, things that sort of uh, keep us separated will be caring for each other across those sort of differences. And I, I know that there's a lot there, as you already said. But I think if we can begin to do that, I think the conversation about uh, ethnicity and culture in America, especially in the church, if we can get this right, because that passage in Galatians 2 is talking about the church primarily. But if we can do that, the conversation about ethnicity, race, and culture is going to be more celebratory and not one that we're all fearful of having. All right. So somebody has just texted me this, and I think you'll appreciate it. I'm just going to start asking myself, what assumptions do I make about money, resources, wealth, opportunity, education, welfare, addiction, foster care, homelessness, public transportation, generational care, preschool, homeschooling, graduate school. I probably make a lot of assumptions about a lot of things based on my own experience, and I don't really think about the the lived reality of others. So I think that's good. That's what we're trying to provoke. Yeah, that's exactly where we're trying to go. And, and if we can get ourselves uh, in a community with people who are bearing different kinds of burdens, uh, other than having borne burdens ourselves, that's the second best way to begin to see those more readily. Uh, and then, and then, and then, and then, as we think about our decisions, you know, big and small, we'll we'll think about it with our community in mind. And I think that's where the the, the people of God, as we selflessly, as our Savior did, look out and bear burdens of of others that are not ours, but we have the privilege to uh, be in community with. So, Walter, thank you so much um, for joining us today, for uh, being in community with us. We're going to lift up your family in our prayers. I know you've got a family member in the hospital with COVID. We have just walked that journey in our family. 
my uh, brother-in-law, Joe, we're going to have a celebration of his life. Um, he went to be with Jesus last Thursday, and that service is later this morning. And so um, we're, we're walking with you in the midst of this and certainly praying for the health um, of your family member as well. Thank you very much. I'll be, I'll be in prayer for you as well, Carmen. Thanks, Walter. Blessings. That's uh, Dr. Walter Strickland. You can find him uh, lots of places. DrWalterStrickland.com is probably the easiest. Um, We'll be right back. All right, in the spirit of mutual burden bearing today, let's be praying for each other. Uh, One one friend of the show um, asking for prayers today, just aching for a son. Um, So let's be praying for each other today. Our aches and Um, joys are real. The burdens that we bear are significant. We do not bear them alone and we do not bear them without hope. So let's put it all at the foot of the cross today. I do so and I do so with you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.